Hey, this is Ted Nicolau, director of Terrorvision and Subspecies, among other films, and you are now tuned in to PVD Horror. You are now tuned in to PVD Horror. Pretty. All of you are very pretty. <laughs> Please don't. I love you. Hey everyone, on today's episode, we are joined by director, actor, writer, and producer, Scooter Corkle. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, no problem. So today we're going to talk about your new film, The Friendship Game, which opens in theaters, also on digital and VOD and on demand on November 11th. But first, let's get to know you a little bit, man. Sure. All right. So we were able to talk with many actors and directors that have had huge success in horror genre, but are also mm-hmm. not huge fans of horror. Do you consider yourself a fan of horror? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of horror. Um, there's no question there. I think um, I'm not a I'm not an encyclopedia of horror. Yeah, um, I'm a I'm an active audience member for the most part. <laughs> now, uh, how did you get into horror? Uh, again, I've always sort of been interested. I mean, my first short film, uh, we did it in 48 hours during um, something called the Bloodshots okay. um, Film Festival. Uh, and that was in Vancouver. And that, my first one was as a, a horror short. Um, that was two elderly ladies, one of which has uh, the power to control people's minds. So I think I've always been interested in that genre, especially as a filmmaker. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, working with blood and working with fear and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I mean, what's not to like? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think I've always sort of been into it. And the older I grew, the more drama was sort of dragging me along. Mm. And then I think I'm, I'm in a spot where elevated genre stuff is, is really my favorite. Okay. Um, kind of branching through different genres, multiple genres. Um, really character focused stuff. That's sort of where, where I lie now. Okay. Now, what are some of your favorite films? I think this question was going to come up and I, <laughs> I should have prepared better. Um, I mean, my, I think, yeah, my favorite films kind of vary like for forever. Uh, you know, punch drunk love was one of my favorite films. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there will be blood, I think is one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, like I love uh, Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, Ravenous. I don't know if you ever saw that um, with Guy Pierce. You check that out, Josh? Ravenous. Max just came in to give me a hug and a kiss goodnight. He's leaving. Uh, so I told <laughs> him. That. I was just making sure he was still alive. Oh, no, he's not leaving yet. He just came in to see if I was alive. Apparently, <laughs> I was quiet. So I apologize for that. But. Uh, Oh, that's okay. Good night, Max. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Usually he comes in and he waves to whoever we're talking to. <laughs> um, I don't want to be rude there, but, uh, you know, my kids always, always come first. Even when I'm on podcast, you know, like, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, Ra- Ravenous is like a, uh, I guess it's considered a B-movie, but um, yeah. it does it does have like Robert Carlyle and Guy Pearce in it. Okay. Um, it's a cannibal film and even like Damon Albarn did the soundtrack uh, 
and it's like a civil war cannibal film. So I don't know, or it was a Spanish Mexican war or something okay. and a cannibal film. I'll have to add um, that to the list and check it out. It's really, I, I, it's really fun. It. Oh, you see yeah, it? It's good. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I saw it a while, while ago now. That's an older film. It's right? an older film. Yeah. 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 It's one of those ones that not a whole lot of people hear about. Um, even though it's got all-star cast and again, Damon Albarn's doing the soundtrack. So, mm. Ooh. so now you have worked in industry for over 17 years in 2018, mm-hmm. you were named one of the top 25 screenwriters to watch by the Austin film festival and the movie maker magazine. What inspired yeah. you to get into this line of work? Uh, first of all, that was really cool of them. Um, <laughs> and really blessed to be a part of that film fest. It's one of my favorites for sure. It's a filmmaker focused film fest. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun um, and a real honor to be part of that. Um, I think I got started in film. I wanted to be an actor actually when I first started. Uh, and I have done a little bit of acting. You said I was an actor, but I'm not technically an actor, but I have done some acting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted, I moved to Vancouver, actually the, the big smoke from my very, very tiny town of like 20,000 people mm-hmm. um, to start acting had like, you know, Jim Carrey was my hero when I was 15 or something. And I knew all his bits and the Monty Python was something I was super into. And um, yeah, I started to kind of write little plays and stage plays so I could do them in my tiny town. Um, and that that's, I think, where like even directing started. And I didn't know it then, but I was sort of directing plays that I was writing in order to get them made. Um, and then, yeah, I moved to The Big Smoke and... Didn't love acting, not going to lie. It's a real tough racket. (laughs) A lot of auditioning and a lot of uh, waiting around and people judging you. And that's just part of the process. Um, And then, yeah, I fell behind the camera. So, you know, from there, I went into Grip Electric Camera and I spent a long time there. Ten ten good years um, working behind the lens. So That's awesome. Yeah, It was like a little fun tidbit. Um, I was the gaffer on Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, okay. Thanos Cosmatos's first film. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's where I met like Norm Lee, who shot that. Um, also shot my first feature, and we became really good friends. Um, and yeah, and then I finally just started writing. I was like, I don't want to work with first time directors anymore. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to be a first time director. So I just started doing it. That's cool. You know, everyone starts somewhere, you know, so like Josh just yeah. uh, filmed his first movie, you know, well, he was an actor in the film. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, he's actually uh, in two films now. Very cool. That's uh, a congratulations. Three, yeah. Three actually. Yeah. Uh, two short films and a, a full length. Uh, the mm. full length, I, I actually I got to do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, mm. I did not get to touch the lights. They were like, don't <laughs> touch lights, but I got to do everything else. That's very uh, cool. Even a little bit of assistant directing, uh, like assistant directing. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it, it's it's so much more fun behind the camera than it is in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, so There's I a lot to do, a lot of people to meet. Yeah, it's a lot of good fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a lot of work. They had me doing the Zoom for a while too, and that was that was really interesting, uh, blind in one eye. So I was like trying to zoom and it was getting more and more fuzzy. I was like, maybe I need some training. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, they, they use nothing that I touched behind the scenes. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to start somewhere, right? 
Uh, that's it. That's failure it. is the best medicine, as they say. It's cool that you started in like a 48 hour film fest because we have those here and um, a lot of up and comers do them. And they, mm -hmm. you know, like the guys I, I was I was in the movie with, they made a 48 and they won. Um, mm -hmm. And then they got funding to make a movie. So that's how it goes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a, I wrote my feature version of Coin Alley that I haven't yet got off the ground. But mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where a lot of my first writing started, for sure. And you guys were chatting with um, uh, Sam Zimmerman, was it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and he, he was working with uh, Kirla Janice, um, who used to run uh, Bloodshots. Oh, okay. Um, uh, hers is the, uh, the Psychotic Women There um, documentary. Um, yeah, she's awesome. And she used to do Bloodshots until it got a little too serious and people started cheating. <laughs> <laughs> so then, it, then she was like, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, besides all the work that you have done in the film industry, you also have a passion for creating music. You released an EP last year um, under your alter ego uh, snorkel title, yeah. Made for Friends. What was it like working on that project? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've kind of kept that going a little bit, too. Um, mm -hmm. I, it was when I first I did the score with our composer for Hollow in the Land, my first film. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that score. Uh, it was done by Ado Van Bremen, um, also Brastronaut, uh, which is a cool band if you haven't heard it. Um, and yeah, we were kind of working in the same room together, kind of going through a lot of stuff. The movie was so small that we could just be intimate. He built a little studio in his upstairs of his parents' house and, and we got to rock. Um, so I just kind of caught the bug there and he gave me a program to make music with. Um, so during the pandemic, when everything stopped, I had nothing else to do. So I said, ah, I'll just open this program, you know, two years after he'd given it to me, three years after he'd given it to me. Um, and I just instantly fell in love with it. There's, um, there's something about music because it's instantaneous. Uh, you can, you can sort of emotionally engage with it right away. Um, that was really attractive compared to writing and directing, which takes forever. Um, writing, I think in its purest form is also like an inter interactivity. Um, but you kind of got to get to me, my, my process is I need to build it out into a structure first, um, and a big outline, like a really long outline. And then I spend about three weeks just straight writing. So the actual script only takes about two or three weeks. Okay. And in that case, it's like really emotionally instantaneous because you are at least I am performing the actors as I'm writing them. Mm -hmm. um, so I can kind of engage in that way, which is kind of cool. But there's, there's just nothing like music um, that can give you that emotional connectivity so quickly. Yeah. Um, and I fell for that in a big way. Yeah, for sure. And I can't play an instrument or anything. So, <laughs> so I got like a little keyboard thing and I can sing a little, um, I don't know. It was just fun. Yeah. And it was something to, it was something to put out. You know, people could listen to it and it didn't really exist until somebody heard it, you know, mm. yeah, like well, a film it doesn't uh, exist yeah. until somebody sees yeah. it. <laughs> so a while back I had, we had created like a playlist. So we would talk to some of our guests and kind of like try to pick their brains and kind of figure out what some of their favorite songs were. And like, we kind of stopped doing that. So, and I ran into one of the listeners and he's like, man, you guys should bring that back. And I think that's <laughs> the perfect time to do that. Yeah. I want to know what are some of your favorite songs, you know, like 
Your top three. I'm a big I'm a big album guy. Um, mm-hmm. I like to know the story that somebody's telling throughout an album. So I will I won't usually pick up um, normal songs or anything. I'll, I'll kind of like do it as a wholesale. Okay. Um, and uh, what is it? Uh, Jim James's um, Eternally Even, I think it is my favorite okay. um, albums. Uh, Dan, Dan Deacon's Bromps is really cool. Um, I do love that uh, album. Um, oh, God, what else? I'm a big Sam Smith fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love Sam Smith. <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. Um, yeah. If I could have maybe a favorite song. Oh, shit, I don't think I can do that. Can't do it. <laughs> I don't think I can. Yeah. I don't think I can. So, I've been really into Idols recently, too. Okay. Idols is like, they're super heavy British band. Mm. Um, yeah, those are, those are some ones from New York. I think two Americans and one British. They're all men, sadly. Um, but yeah. I'll be looking that up as soon yeah. as this is over then. Uh, yeah. I haven't heard of them, so. Jim James, like the Eternally Even is, is really cool. I think Jim James is like a producer for uh, My Morning Jacket or something. Okay. I think. Um, something like that, but yeah. Awesome. So what I got out of that conversation was when we start the PVD horror record label, contact you right away. <laughs> you're going to be the star of the record label. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a face guys, you know, Norkel. Just the, <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, my mom told me I got a face for podcasting. So <laughs> the, uh, there's a, there's so, actually, there's a funny tidbit in friendship game is that our sound designer, Eugenio Battaglia, and myself, um, we created sort of an alter ego uh, band um, to create music for the club scenes. So when you see the party scenes and all that kind of stuff, yeah. all of that music uh, we built okay. um, oh. under under the pseudonym Club Fanta. Um, and then because we had built it and we created our weird fake personas all of a sudden we had to like sign contracts on it because i think our whole soundtrack is owned by atlantic records or something crazy so yeah that's awesome that's pretty funny but yeah club fanta check us out you know we don't have any any online presence is it named after the drink the fanta no p-h-a-n-t like uh, phantasm or yeah yeah i like it so uh Speaking of the friendship game, uh, mm-hmm. you can give us a synopsis on the whole film. Maybe not giving everything. Yeah, away, I'll give you. I'll give you a huge. Uh, yeah, I'll do the wiki page uh, plot detail. Um, no, it's uh, it's essentially a group of teenagers who are all leaving high school um, to move on to college or what have you. Uh, they stumble upon this game, the friendship game where when you play it, you give it your deepest desire and it takes your deepest desire and tests your friendships based on it. So the idea is if your friendships don't survive the game, uh, neither do you. Um, so essentially it is a puzzle box, a little bit Hellraiser-y, mm-hmm. um, that does test your friendship and is a metaphor for you know, leaving high school and all those sort of things. Um, cause anytime you do leave high school, it's, you know, it feels like it's life and death because your friends are everything to you. So that's yeah. essentially 
don't know if that's a synopsis, but that's yeah. Well, what it's about. <laughs> that's a pretty good synopsis, and there, there, you could see some parallels there. Um, so, was it your intention to make the box like a character throughout? Yeah, I mean, even in uh, Damien Ober and his script, um, it was always there. Um, yeah. it, it was always a character. At one point, it was sort of like a, a bit more of a demigod. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it has morphed over the years to be what it is now. Um, and really what it is, what, what he'd always wanted it to be was, um, uh, it, it's more a device that when used, um, appropriately will actually create a game board, um, to test your friendship. Um, so, so it, even when you are using it, well, it's a, be, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And it's like, it's subtle. It's not, it's not, you know, would you rather or anything like that where it is these are the rules of the game. There's one rule. Mm-hmm. Your friendships don't survive, neither do you. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. So I don't, I don't think we can get into too much detail, but it, it is definitely not, you're not really going to fully understand where you are, probably even by the end of the movie. And I'm okay with that. I think that's cool. Yeah, I dug it. Uh, I, was, I was really excited to, number one, get this film, and then I was even more excited watching it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's great. it goes to move. Um, what's funny is I, so I watched it and everybody in my house loves, uh, Peyton list. I, they, they watch all her stuff apparently. Cause I told them that she was in it and they mm-hmm. yelled at me for not watching it with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, go figure. Uh, and I was like, I don't think you guys would like it. Like they're not hard fans, you know? Um, but do, is there any like funny behind the scenes stories, like working with a bunch of teens that you could share? That wouldn't that wouldn't spoil anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think we should mention that the the cast. I, I've said this in every interview that like our cast rules. Um, yeah, they're rad. They're super organic. They're really natural. They they really took the roles and made them their own. Um, and I'm I'm very thankful to them for all the hard work that they did. Uh, Peyton especially because she is the leader of the film, and and you're never really sure. Um, how she's going to take it. She's the face of a movie and the stars going to take whatever they take from it. But she even said it's the, it's the realist performance that she's done, um, which is cool. And I think for her fans, uh, they're going to be surprised um, to see what they're going to see. And I think pleasantly surprised because she is legitimately good in the movie. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, stories of teenagers in the background. I, I <laughs> Uh, not super. Every everything was pretty fun. I mean, we just had a good time. Th- they actually became really good friends, and they still hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, so while Peyton's up here shooting, you know, um, Caitlin and Kelsey, you know, they're they're hanging out. They're going for drinks. They're doing a photo shoot together with our um our makeup artist Miel. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, they became really good friends, like pretty instant friends. Yeah, and Brendan, cool. of course, because he was in he was shooting with us at the time, but. That's awesome because, you know, it's cool because I work with teenagers and then my kids are also at that age now. And so it's it's funny. My son just transitioned into high school and my daughter transitioned to middle school. And I tell him, like, you know, it's it's hard because you're not going to have the same friends all the time. Things people kind of grow and go separate ways and everything like that. So mm-hmm. they, they actually watched this film with me. And so they really enjoyed it, too. So, you know, for the oh, that's great. audience, uh, like Josh said, you know. 
um and you did a great job to kind of like incorporate all of that going on and like things that are going on in like teams lives right now too yeah no i appreciate that and i appreciate that there's some feedback out there already mm-hmm. um even even th- this film is targeted for that age group for Peyton's fans in general um i think we've always kind of tried to make this movie for them mm-hmm. um and it's a wild movie with a lot of sort of adult themes and that sort of thing um yeah. But at the core of it, I think, is is Peyton. Um, it is the Zuza character. She is the sort of emotional core, the grounded um, through through line that kind of guides you through all the madness and all the crazy and all the weird stuff. Um, that might be hard to explain, but at least she's there because her arc really kind of guides you through the whole process. So I, I am hoping that that's where or that's what the audience will sort of take away regardless of how confused they are. <laughs> well, that's, that's another thing I wanted to touch on because uh, like through the film, it gets like steadily more and more and more insane mm-hmm. as it goes along. And finally, like towards the end, you're like, what? Um, and a lot <laughs> of that has to do with the filming. Like your camera shots were great. The way you told the story with your film is, is no. like good directing, you know, you could that, tell. Yeah. You could tell when it, you got a good director, you know, um, you could take the best script in the world. And if you have a bad director, it's not going to work out. <laughs> like, it's just not. Um, can you tell us anything about how you approached your directing to build up that perfect uh, tension and insanity all the way through? Yeah, I think behind any good director is a really good editor. Um, <laughs> that's really, that's a lot of it. I mean, there's a good crew. Uh, as well, like Farhad um, Gaderi, who shot it, um, has really stamped his own style on it. Uh, there's a great tone in there. Our production designer, Richard Simpson, um, you know, he did a really good job too, kind of building out the object and making the object a player um, and making, you know, every sort of character at least land in their own little world. Um, yeah. But yeah, we had we had two editors, uh, Tony Joe and. Um, uh, Matt Lyon. Uh, we did a long post process and we did some reshooting as well. So we did have the opportunity to adjust the story um, in post, which isn't always afforded in any movie. Mm. Um, but we really kind of found, we found the movie a little bit more pretty late in post because it's like an alternate sort of universe, not really alternate universe per se, but the ultiverse, yeah, I guess it is, uh, that, you know, you can kind of take that story a lot of different ways. Um, so we did sort of find it and build it out in post and then sort of pick up some pieces. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the camera at, at one point wanted to be its own character and it wanted to kind of tell its own story. Um, yeah. And then the, the characters themselves, I think, also lend to a very similar style where they're they're telling their own stories. Um, and then once you kind of put all the pieces together, you start to see it come about. And like, even the sound design was super important. Um, the score is super important to kind of create that mood, that tone, um, and weirdness is really kind of pushing it into that weirdness while, you know, from a storytelling perspective is keeping the emotional arc true. So if, if Peyton or Zeus's arc doesn't work, the whole movie falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that was a big that was a big piece as well to be very conscious of and that's a lot of where our rewriting was concerned um to try and build that up better i think we found something cool but yeah yeah huge shout out to those fancy guys that did the music man it was so good (laughs) (laughs) the uh because you guys saw it i forgot that you guys saw it too so you did hear our music yeah 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 yeah. um the i should mention actually uh blitz berlin did our score um and they did uh uh, Psycho Goreman, and they did some okay. tracks on the Void, um, another like, sort of Lovecraftian movie. And they're, uh, I'm really excited about what they what they brought. They're really cool. Yeah, it it flowed nicely. Like, yeah, uh, there's there's another thing. Like your your cinematography was great. Um, yeah, and I know that you had worked behind the camera, um, but your effects were pretty good too. Uh, for an independent film, like sometimes they slack. This one was spot on. And the combination of the two all the way through uh, mm-hmm. told like a pretty good story. And what I, what I'm really interested in, in like how much of that was the DP and how much was your vision on your uh, cinematography? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think anything's really exclusive. My, my vision. Um, I think with any movie, it is, it's a collaborative process and, um, I think directors talk a lot about that, but, but it truly is, uh, a, a movie lives and breathes by, you know, the situation, the timing, the money you have, the people you get, or the people who are available that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really, it's like, it's hurting as many of the best elements as you can, as many of the best possible elements as you can into one sort of fluid, uh, train on a track <laughs> and, um, you make it as best as you can with everything you have by leaning on those people to do things. So, you know, Farhad who shot it, um, his, he had visions, he had vision boards. We walked through what I was thinking. Um, there's certain moments where, you know, we're kind of scrapping on set a little bit, um, which is why I hired him in the first place. Cause I thought he might argue with me a bit. Um, <laughs> he, he argued a lot less than I thought. Uh, but still, and if he hears that, <laughs> he understands that it was all due to love. Um, I, I did want a little bit of pushback, uh, cause he's got his own unique style, you know? Mm. Um, and I wanted to, to best utilize that. And there's a couple times where I'm like, you know, sorry, but we just have to shoot. And other times where he's like, I don't like this. And then we'll stop and just completely rework it and try and figure out a better way to do it. Um, so it's, yeah, I think in. I think the director's job in general uh, is more like the captain of a ship, um, but you're not, you're kind of just guiding that ship to where it needs to go. And there's a, there is a, a, a direction you need to go and there is a final, um, a final destination, but how you get there, I think depends on what crew you have. So yeah, I think my, my main job, I think as a director is just to, is just, I think, I think is to, is to lead. Um, creative people and to give creative people enough space to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's what I think directing is. That's is, cool. is there anything that you like couldn't, couldn't shoot that you wish you did? Um, oh, that's a fun question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. About that because I worked on a film and there was like this one scene that they really wanted in the film and then the shooting schedule ran long and they couldn't get it. And then on reshoots, the person that they needed for that scene wasn't available and it changed the tone of the movie. And you can't really tell, but it, mm. it does. 
And uh, I was just curious yeah. on you. Yeah, I think you, you're always going to tell because you're the person working on it. Um, yeah. The audience won't. They'll never know. Um, I mean, we did. I, I thought we left stuff on the on the table when we were shooting just because of the nature of the schedule. And we had a lot of rewrites while we were working. Um, we were working during COVID too. So there was a few things that we needed to sort of adjust and go left or right with. Mm. Um, but then once you get into post, I mean, you kind of discover something new, like, you know, the old saying of you make a movie three times, one in writing, one when shooting and one in editing. I do think you only really make a movie once and it's in editing. Um, and what you're doing with the script and what you're doing with production is setting yourself up the best you can in order to edit the movie together. Um, because that's where the story actually finds itself. You can have all this stuff on paper and all the stuff that you've shot, which are um, incredibly important. I'm not taking away from that, but I think you do only really find the movie once you're in editing. Um, so if we had shot different things, we might not have, we might've even cut it out because you're killing your darlings all the time in post. Um, but we were able to do reshoots. So we did do like, you know, three days of substantial reshoots after we were in post and figured out like, oh, we actually need to tell this part of the story a little bit more. Um, so yeah, have I left anything on the table? Probably. I don't know. It's tough to know. We didn't have the money to really kind of balk about it. So, you know, if I had a lot more money, sure, I would have shot a lot of different things. <laughs> <laughs> it always yeah. comes down to mighty dollar, right? Yeah. The, the mighty uh, dollar affords you time, which on indie movies you just don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, like you did a great job with the film and I just can't wait for it to release so everyone can check it out. And so the friendship game, like we said, it opens in theaters and on digital and on demand on November 11th. So definitely check that out. Uh, Scooter, um, what else is can you let the listeners know what else you have coming up and where they can find you online? Yeah, I've been I've been blessed with a real name, Scooter Corkle. Um Corkle, I should say that louder. I, I'm a I'm a good mubbler. Um, so yeah, I'm basically at Scooter Corkle on everything. Um, Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter, which I never use. Um, it's just my website is scootercorkle.com. Like it's all it's all really easy to find. Outside of my my musical alter ego, which I'm surprised you guys did find, because um, I only have one thing. But uh, yeah, that's 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 easy enough to find me. Um, Instagram is probably the best spot, but, uh, yeah, what do I have coming up? I mean, I just got a new office, so I'm really trying to build that out and get writing and start collaborating a little bit more. I think I've always been sort of a, a pretty solitary writer, um, outside of a couple instances. So I think I do want to, like I do on set, which mm -hmm. is exciting. And, you know, you're, you're trying to get the best creativity out of creative people. I do want to do the same in the writer's room. So, um, keep a lookout for that. But right now we've slowly got a writer's group called the writer's block. Um, but that none of that's been branded yet. So it's still kind of in the, in the very beginning stages. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I'm, you know, I'm writing and, or I've got a couple little irons in the fire, but nothing that's on fire currently. Mm -hmm. well, I might have another album coming. So we'll I, I want to <laughs> check that out. I need to hear it. So <laughs> definitely send it over in the yeah, email. You send it to us. Yeah, so we can add it to the our uh, Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. I got to get on Spotify. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah, it was just a hobby, and then people are like, "You should actually do this." So I'm I'm gonna actually do it for a little bit. 
no. not to make any money or anything it's just for fun but it's yeah, still <laughs> it's it's nice it's nice to have people listen it kind of changes how you hear things the same with like a movie being in a room with somebody just completely changes how you see the movie it's a really weird phenomenon it's cool yeah somebody said we should start a podcast and here we are talking to you like <laughs> yeah exactly how, you know? yeah. Uh, how long have you been doing the podcast there's some cool people on there uh two uh, years uh, now yeah, two years. The yeah, podcast yeah. itself has been two years, but we've been together for three. Very um, cool. Yeah, we, we do a lot of local events. We started doing that, and then it just, you know, COVID hit, and what do you do? So, Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually hosting a podcast for a little bit before COVID as well. Um, we only did one season, and it's called Podcast and Crew. Okay. Um, and it's it's me and the, this other fella, Corey Orban, and we have been chatting to people who are below the line. Um, so like PMs, focus pullers, makeup effects, people, um, editors, which I wouldn't really put below the line, but, um, we had a good deal with the union going on then, but, uh, yeah, that was fun. That was a lot. I learned a lot mm. from that prop master and a sound, uh, sound recordist, all these people who worked on like, you know, huge, huge, big movies. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun too. We, we kind of stopped doing that during COVID, but we'll see if we pick it up again. Dude, that's an awesome idea. Like, I I would listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's online somewhere. Um, I'm not sure exactly where, podcasting crew. I think it was on like Simplecast or something. Okay. Where you guys go? Uh, We're on all all streaming services, so... All the things. Yeah, so... We'll yeah. we'll look for your sorry, so we can check out some of your uh, interviews and stuff like that because that's definitely cool. Like down our alley because you know, like Josh said, like the special effects and everything like that. That stuff, you know, a lot of the good stories come from there. We had mm-hmm. uh, one of the guys that actually worked on uh, uh, one of the f- Nightmare on Elm Street films and Night of the Demons and The Blob. Oh, cool. So just all oh the stories God. that he kind of like had brought into it. And he was just talking about like he was doing one of the special effects and it like kind of like stabbed Freddie with one of the um, gloves at once at one, one of the scenes. He's like, if you pay attention, you can see it. So just those little <laughs> tidbits, just like you said, like with your music being added into the film, it definitely changes like the experience of the film. Like when we go back and watch it again. So, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, it's fun. It's such an interesting uh, movies are so hard and they're yeah. so fun. Um, and they're little, they just kind of like exist in their own little world. And, mm-hmm. um, once you make a film, it, you don't, you don't own it anymore. Mm-hmm. And usually that's because a distributor also owns it. But, um, what I mean by that is that, you know, the, the dialogue you're having is filmmaker to audience. Mm-hmm. And once you deliver the movie and once it's in the audience's hands, um, they react to it and now it belongs to them. So however, uh, they interact however they experience it. Whatever emotion comes from it is all their own personal emotion. It's own their own personal experience. So they can own that. And that's theirs now. So the movie's no longer mine or any of us art, artists that worked on it. It, it belongs to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you watch things like, you know, Harry Potter's or something, and you, you might not like J.K. Rowling anymore, it is your reaction to the movie originally um that you own that's your ownership and screw anybody else because you as an audience member that you you own that um and i truly believe that as a filmmaker makes it easier when you get bad reviews 
that's a that's Dude, a good I, way to look at that. it. Yeah, you you know what? Uh, take the bad reviews and and just roll with it and just do the next thing, man. Yeah, exactly. Make sure yeah, that, that was more of a joke, but I, I do I do feel like you uh you just don't own anything anymore, and that's cool. It's, it's part of the you've birthed the movie, and it can live in its own space. It lives, it does its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a baby that is now an adult, and there you go. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, and it, I'm a big fan of independent film, so here I'll tell you how it works: is you put it out, everybody loves it, they forget about it, and then 20 years later, they're like, "Hey, remember this great movie?" And then you're a mega superstar 20 yeah. years after you made the original movie uh, <laughs> that you didn't make a dime on. That that seems to be where it's going, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you never, you don't really, I mean, at least on this one, it was my second movie, so I made a few dimes. But um, my first movie, I spent a lot of dimes um, to get that one off the ground. Um, but that's how it works. You know, you've got you to gotta put the time in to get, to get the reward and not like it's, I didn't get any real reward. But I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not so, making millions of dollars here. Um, <laughs> Before we let you go, if there was one piece of advice you could give somebody, what would it be? Um, it's always a fun question. I think if you think about um, the recipe to being a filmmaker, I think right at the very top um, is perseverance and dedication is like right below it. And then like fourth down the list is creativity or just being good at it. Um, Like talent is way down, but perseverance is sort of key because this industry will knock you a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very, very hard uh, to stay in the industry. Um, especially if you are leading something creatively, if you are a director um, or an actor or, you know, somebody who is um, beholden to the audience or beholden to the critics, uh, you're, you're going to get your ass kicked and you kind of just got to be able to, you know, not necessarily have thick skin, but just persevere and push and realize that, yeah, I made mistakes and I'm going to learn from them and I'm not going to dwell on them. Um, That to me is what, makes every filmmaker that I know that's really made it. Um that that's sort of the first ingredient is just perseverance. Just keep going, you know. That's, that's great awesome. advice right there. So yeah. The, uh, <laughs> man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh I apologize for all the, the quirks and the things that went wrong. Uh for those <laughs> of you listening, there was a lot of things beforehand that uh everything that could go wrong went wrong, right? And I yeah. got drag racers outside. We got an MC moved in on the street, so I'm sure drag racers outside. Yeah, we we have an MC that moved in down the street, and uh, it's Amazing. really weird. There's a fire station, a church, and then a and then, uh, like a motorcycle club. Yeah, and uh, they there's drag racers on the street all night long. Um, so wow, that's not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> Yeah, not when you you got to get up at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, so I apologize for that to everybody. Uh, we try to edit that all out, but uh, man, it was it was great to talk to you. Like, I, I love this film. I'm so grateful that we got to see it before it came out. Everybody, definitely check it out when it does come out. Mm-hmm. And thank you again for your time, man. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate you chatting with me and. Um, I'm glad you like the film. That's 
uh, that's pretty special. So, yeah, thank you. All right, man. We appreciate you coming on. All right, doodles. All right, right, buddy. (laughs) Have a good night. See ya. Nice to meet you. Over, you lose.